Welcome back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca here on 95.5 WSB. I have had weeks in the making of this exciting interview. I want to bring you guys a lot of knowledge and an exciting project as well that you yourself solo can be involved in coming up next weekend or perhaps get the kids and the whole family involved. I'm really happy to be joined by Becca Radomsky-Bish, Cornell Lab of Ornithology up in New York. Hello, Becca. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. You know, it's so exciting. We connected online and uh, you're a project leader of so many things going on up there at Cornell. And really what I wanted to focus our conversation on, conversation on this morning is the great backyard bird count. Now, I don't know if many of our listeners have heard of that. Some of the more serious birders, of course, know about it. But <laughs> give us some background on the great backyard bird count and how long it's been around. Sure, sure. The Great Backyard Bird Count is one of the uh, older running projects at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. It's considered a citizen science project. So for your listeners who are new to that concept, uh, citizen scientists are people that us scientists rely upon to help us gather data on various topics. And this particular count is focused on birds. So birds that people see every day in their backyards, on their commute, um, in the city park when they take a break from work. Um, because scientists can't be everywhere all the time. So we really rely on everyday people to help us understand what's going on in the world of birds. So in 1998, the Great Backyard Bird Count was kind of this great experiment. Um, obviously, people that are birders love birds. And, and we had the question, I wonder if everyday people would get into this and, and send us checklists over a period of four days of the birds that they see. And turns out, people loved it. Yes. Um, we, we had so much engagement that it actually spurred the development of what has become one of the most uh, popular global tools for bird watching, which is eBird. So Great Backyard Bird Count kind of opened the gateway literally for um, global participation in counting of birds. So this is a worldwide project, folks. Imagine the research you're doing in your backyard in Austell or Marietta or out in Loganville. That is all entered into a database and all the, the information gathered from this four-day project. You're joining people from all over the world, right, Becca? That's pretty neat. Yeah, that's right. It's really exciting. The United States and Canada still have uh, one of the higher participation rates, but India is very close behind that, uh, as well as Canada. Those are two of our growing um, participatory countries, Mexico as well as Central and South America. So yeah, it's very exciting. And it's really the only way for us to get sort of a timestamp look at what's going on with birds around the world. So this project, the Great Backyard Bird Count, more information can be found online, birdcount.org. And we're doing it this weekend, Becca, because we wanted folks to be on time with the start date, which is next Friday, Valentine's Day. They can participate 15-minute increments, right, anytime from Friday the 14th through Monday the 17th is when you guys are accepting the data, right? That's right. That's right. We start on Valentine's Day. So for the love of birds, it would be awesome to, to participate that weekend. Um, and what's that's one of the beautiful things. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Ashley. It's one of the beautiful things about this project. It doesn't take much time. So literally 15 minutes, one time in the weekend. Um, you can enter the data on your smartphone. You can enter the data on a computer or an iPad. It's very easy to do. Um, you, you just log in and tell us what birds you see. Count as 
many birds as you can in that 15 minutes. Maybe you'll see two blue jays, four cardinals, three dark-eyed juncos, um, and you just plug that information in, and that's really helpful for scientists that are trying to understand what's going on with birds around the world. And as you're doing this, I mean, I imagine myself, our activity at our feet or hanging on the back deck is where we really have a great view of all of the birds and their activity. So I'm imagining these folks being stationary, right? And they're just keeping an eye on one portion of their yard or maybe, you know, one or two feeders next to each other, not just walking up and down the neighborhood, right? Right, yeah. So eBird, you can, um, so the Great Backyard Bird Count, I should clarify, all goes into eBird. So eBird is the large database with which um, all the GBBC observations are entered into. Um, And you can do it a couple of different ways. So um, I would say the vast majority of our GBBC participants are watching their backyard bird feeders and using those birds as their count. It's also fine to go for a walk and, you know, stop in one location and observe them. So they are stationary counts, but it doesn't have to be just your yard. You could go for a hike and document birds. Um, You could go to your local park and document birds. Um, The vast majority of people are using their yards and properties, but you're not limited to that. Okay, great. So again, folks, birdcount.org, and that will take you to where Becca is saying you sign up for a free account through eBird, and you're able to do that on your laptop or download the app if that's easiest, and that will kind of help you track what you're seeing. So not only the count, the the bird count there, Becca, but a photo contest, and you all have resource guides from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology helping with bird identification. So there's, there's a lot of fun resources there that folks can check out. There are. If you love birds or even are just slightly suspicious of them, the resources at the lab are incredible. Um, Merlin is another uh, tool you can download for your phone. If you are new to birding and you see something new this weekend, this particular weekend, and you want to know what it is, it's a very quick and easy tool where you type in the colors you're seeing, the approximate size, and it will literally spit out um, the, the handful of species it probably could be based on your region. So, you know, in addition to not only participating in GBBC, you can actually learn and grow and maybe um, get some new birds added to your list. So Merlin is a great resource. I'm old school, so I've got a a little book of like a field guide for Georgia (laughs) birds. But any of those great books with colored photographs, the pages, the margins are lined with what color the bird is. So say you see a blue bird, we'll go to the portion of the book that's lined in blue or black or brown, and that kind of gives you a start. But correct me if I'm wrong, Becca, oftentimes the male variety, the male bird, is the one with the brighter colors rather than the female, right? Yep, you're correct. In a lot of species, that that is true. Not all species. Um, there are species like bluebird or um, blue jays and chickadees. The males and the females all, all look the same coloration, but there are quite a few species. The cardinal is probably one of the more popular. It's actually the highest um, entered bird in our data. We get the more cardinal IDs in our GBBC weekend than any other. And the males are obviously that beautiful bl- bright red. And the females are actually quite lovely as well, but a little less showy, uh, more of an orange cream tan color. So yeah, there is a lot of difference um, in plumage between the males and the females. So this is all so much fun, folks. Next weekend, the Great Backyard Bird Count, you take 15 minutes, just 15 consecutive minutes out of your weekend, count the birds you see, identify the birds you see. And then Becca, on the back end, once this all closes out on Monday, the 17th, how is all this data used for you guys? That's a great question. Um, 
So there's lots of different ways that this data is used over time. Um, and before I forget to mention, I did want to say that I did look up Atlanta, Georgia, and you all have about 223 what we call eBird hotspots, meaning there's a lot of people already birdie, birding in Atlanta and a lot of birds that people have seen. So for your listeners who are thinking, I don't know, I don't really see much around here, you actually there is. There's a lot there. So if you haven't taken 15 minutes out to, to take a look, do do that. But in terms of what we do with the data, so once the weekend is all said and done, then we take that data and we crunch it. You will turn around relatively quickly numbers about how many birds were seen, um, how many people participated. Last year was a, another year of growth. We had about a quarter of a million people participate wow. in the count. Yeah, it's really, and, and almost th- uh, three million individual birds were counted around the world. And that's world. world, worldwide. That's amazing. Yeah, and we saw more than half of what we know as the total known species in the world. So almost 7,000 species were recorded in just that four-day period. So that's, for those of you that are interested in science and big data, that's incredible information that we can use that really allows us to know what's going on um, around the world in terms of bird populations. And when you look at your participants who have participated, you know, maybe just one year or for multiple years, do you guys get demographics on who all is participating age-wise gender anything like that we don't we don't get down to those kinds of um, details in our actual collection we obviously know how many people participate in different states so I was actually looking that up for for you all there in Georgia your highest year was uh, the year 2015 you guys had almost 4,500 participants Hmm. which is pretty good last year you guys had just shy of 4,000 so you know depending on the year depending on the, the place in the world literally, um, numbers of participants will go higher and lower. And sometimes I won't deny that there's a little bit of um, inter-country competition or (laughs) interstate competition that can happen, especially with the bird clubs. Um, You know, let's beat California or, you know, let's beat Ohio. So so there's a little bit of that um, that goes on with eBird. eBird is um, a fun, fun online tool that GBBC obviously is very closely connected with, and they do a lot of sort of competition amongst um, birders to see who can get the most species. And um, obviously, GBBC weekend, a lot of people are sort of birding with their neighbors and with their bird club groups. So on my second show here, Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB, I'm going to make a pretty bold prediction, Becca. Okay, I'm I'm ready. I'm going to hope and pray and get you 5,000 people from the state of Georgia to participate in the Great Backyard Bird Count next weekend. Nice. You will blow your record out of the water. I would love to do that. How cool would that be? That would be great. So what I've read on the website as well, something a little more sad, a little more down as to what your research has shown over the years. Three billion birds gone since 1970. So y'all have been tracking, you know, movements and things. As far as any bird population nearing extinction or endangerment, Talk to what some of the analysis of the Great Backyard Bird Count has shown you all over the last few years. Sure. Yeah, I'm glad that you are bringing that up. It's um, it's the darker side of this work, but it's one of the reasons why this work is so important. Um, when you tell somebody 30% of our birds since 1970 are gone, it's just sort of like, 
it, it leaves a little hole there in your in your stomach and heart. Um, so that means those of you that do watch your feeders, one in four of those birds that you see, you no longer will see. They're, they're gone. And this statistic was shocking to the highest levels of people in, our, in the building at the Lab of Ornithology. People had no idea. And the way that they were able to come up with this information was to crunch large data sets like the GBBC and to be able to show and demonstrate these declines of different birds over time. And that's total birds. So it's important to remember that not all birds have declined, right? Some have gone high, some have gone low. That's more of a, a net count. Mm-hmm. But regardless, the, the evidence suggests that birds are in trouble. Things like orioles, meadowlarks, warblers, those are some of the harder hit species. Um, some of the species that actually have rebounded, and this is the good news, are species like waterfowl and raptors. And one of the reasons why they have been higher and rebounded is because of of humans, because of us, because how we've managed their habitat and how we have protected the resources with which they need to thrive and survive in their habitats. So the good news is we do have an impact. We have a positive impact when we put our energy towards helping birds. But when we aren't focused in doing that kind of work, there's obvious trends towards decline in bird populations. So I'm speaking today with Becca Radomsky-Bish of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology about the Great Backyard Bird Count, which we would love for you to participate in, all of you, with your families, your children, your spouse, next weekend. Any 15 minutes you have from next Friday to next Monday, the 17th. And Becca, saving some of their habitats can be our responsibility. There's steps that we can be taking to make sure we keep those bird counts high. What can we do? 100%. That is actually where my heart and soul is in the world of conservation. I love birds. I admire them deeply. And I am most most connected to how we all play a role in that work of protecting birds and other wildlife that we have in and around our properties. So down in Georgia, I I live in upstate New York, so slightly different region and habitats up here versus down there, but still a lot of similarities too. So for those of you that have space, um, even if you just have have a a deck, um, a back porch, right? You may not have a a huge plot, but if you do have a huge plot, that's even better. Really focusing on making that little piece that you call your own home as safe as possible for birds is one of the best things you can do for them. So things like planting native plants. And a lot of people say, well, what's the big deal? You know, if it flowers and it provides something, why does it need to be native? And when I say native, I mean plants that are from Georgia, that are Mm -hmm. from your region. And the reason why they're important um, is actually related directly to bird breeding. So birds during their breeding period, especially songbirds, uh, feed their young, um, mostly the larvae from butterflies and moths. The caterpillars that they lay and grow on the plants, they need native plants because that's what they're looking for. Insects are intimately tied to plant communities. And it's all it's all food ecosystem, right? So mm-hmm. in order to have those caterpillars to eat, the birds um, need to have the moths and the butterflies, and the moths and the butterflies need to have the native plants. So when you're thinking about your yards and your landscapes, you know, when you go to the store, try and figure out what should be growing here in Atlanta, Georgia, and and plant those things because that's ultimately going to help our bird populations, perhaps in in the most significant way. And it provides them resources year-round. You can also protect your windows. If you go to our um, Bring Birds Back website, we talk about protecting windows. Um, uh, More than a billion birds collide with building windows every year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, birds birds see like humans. So if you look at your window and it looks like a beautiful tree or a beautiful sky day, that's exactly what the birds see. Um, so there's a lot of window collision problems with um, birds as well. So One protecting your windows. Heartbreaking things I ever saw was going out onto our back deck a cedar waxwing, this beautiful oh. blue bird with these distinct black and yellow markings just laying dead and at first I thought one of the cats had gotten to him but in fact it it was a, a, a window hit yeah, yeah, it's really it's really tragic, and and one of the things that's problematic about it is that it's often um, not the immediate impact that kills the birds. Uh. Sometimes they'll actually hit and they'll fly off and they'll be stunned and they might get a hemorrhage, and you may not even know, and they may not even know until minutes later. So um, it is it's really tragic, and it is something that's pretty preventable without destroying your view. Right. So we have lots of resources online for how to protect those windows. Well, and talk about one other thing too. Some of that we're talking about our responsibilities and ways that we can make our habitats a little more hospitable to some of the birds. The impact our use of plastic has Mm. on making things unsafe for wildlife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, plastics, you know, they're, obviously the impact plastics can have is pretty big and broad um, for any habitat and ecosystem. One of the places where we're seeing it the most problematic is in our coastal areas. And I know you know you do have quite a large coastal spread there in Georgia. Um, and birds literally will consume plastic things. I'm sure um, you and your listeners have seen some images of, of birds that have been opened up and dissected and found in their guts to have bottle caps and pieces of plastic bag and so forth. Not that different from windows. Um, A lot of plastics, especially as they break down, kind of look like food Mm -hmm. and food materials and particles. And birds are curious. That's one of the reasons we love them. They're very curious animals. And they will sometimes pick it up and eat it and consume it, um, which causes real problems, especially with our coastal bird populations. So, folks, we all have a responsibility to do that. And all of these resources, some of the things that uh, that I've asked about or that Becca has mentioned, all of that can be found at birdcount.org. A lot of the links off of birdcount.org can get you to a really great list of seven different things that you should kind of keep in mind if you're really looking to attract birds to your landscape. That's a great list you all put together. Absolutely. Sure. I'm glad that you were able to find that. And talk to, if you had time to research, you know, Georgia a little bit here in the southeast, do you have any native plants that you were able to discover that some of our listeners may be shouting some out, but any native plants that you would maybe recommend would be a good start? Sure, absolutely. I, I realize most of your listeners are gardeners, which um, gardeners and birders are generally best friends, if not, <laughs> you know, the same person. Because yes, <laughs> yes. when you're outside gardening, there's nothing better than seeing those birds enjoying your, your work. Um, yeah, so I do have some lists of birds, or sorry, some list of uh, plants to support birds that I thought y'all might um, find interesting. Probably my favorite, and perhaps your listeners are really familiar with it, is called the American Beautyberry. Yes. Are you familiar with this plant? Yeah, gorgeous. And I'm jealous of you all because I wish I could grow it up here and say it's native, but it's not native to my part of the woods. So, um, but those beautiful sort of um, uh, fuchsia colored berries provide a really rich resource for birds. Um, Any kind of a berry producing shrub, you guys have native choke cherries, service berries, mountain laurel, hollies. Mm -hmm. And the reason why berries are so important is because um, your neck of the woods provides an important migration route for birds. And this is another thing we don't talk about, right? So um, within the United States, 
year round, we don't have all the same birds. A lot of the birds go down to Mexico or Central or South America. And as they're moving maybe from New York, say, down to Mexico, um, they often will pass through your neck of the woods. They'll, they'll cross either the Gulf of Mexico or they'll go right down the Atlantic. And so providing these kinds of plants in your yard provide actually stopover points for birds to be able to refuel to make those important journeys when they're going north and south. So in addition to berry producing, any kind of a nut or seed producing plant, um, any of your flowering perennial flowers will usually produce really beautiful seed heads in the fall. And, um, and birds actually will use those seed heads even in the spring, especially if you leave them out and don't actually deadhead your plants in the spring, but leave those, those beautiful seed heads available so that when they come back across the Gulf or up the Atlantic, they find your yard and can get some nourishment as they're moving back towards their breeding grounds. So anything that produces um, nuts, seeds, and berries is going to be a great addition to your backyard. And I'm glad you mentioned the migratory pattern because in recent years, I mean, I've always watched how birds. I religiously put out a feeder at the end of mm. March, early April. But nice. a lot of people in Metro Atlanta over the last few years have noticed some uh, ruby-throated hummingbirds are staying in the Atlanta yes. area over the wintertime. So I don't know, speak to that, if that is just attributed to our more mild winters or what, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, birds are smart, right? And if they have resources available to them, why not stick around? <laughs> I don't have to put in all the work to fly over the Gulf of Mexico. I'm not going to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I actually, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I just saw a, an eastern bluebird up in our neck of the woods just a couple of days ago. They will sometimes stay around year-round, but they're an unusual one to see in the winter. So I think I think you're right in that birds are, they're adapting, right? They're, they're smart and they're adapting. And if people are leaving up hummingbird feeders, if there's flowering plants in the middle of January and February that can provide nectar for them, they're not going to migrate as far away. And, you know, the, the jury is still out, I think, in the scientific community about what that means. Um, there's evidence of this happening on the West Coast, too. There's mm -hmm. a, a species of, of hummingbird that's moving further north and staying in northern parts of the United States and even Canada and Alaska wow. it, at times where they've never seen hummingbirds before. And again, you know, the birds are adapting. They're figuring out where their resources are available. And if they can survive and stay and have resources, they will. Well, and not only keeping the feeders full, whether you're talking about hummingbird food or just bird seed feeders, but keeping them clean as well. That's so key. Mm. You know, you may neglect yeah. your feeders over the winter if you just haven't gotten around to filling them or something like that, but cleaning them, that's very key as well. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's a really important one. And I'll speak to the hummingbirds and, and the um, seed-eating birds as well. Hummingbird feeders really you need to pay attention to in terms of cleanliness. Uh, it's a sugar water solution, and sugar water solutions can go bad um, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Most people that have big populations don't have this problem, right? The hummingbirds eat up that sugar juice before <laughs> they can change it. Um, but really rinsing that out every time you fill it is critical. And if it doesn't run out within three to four days, you really should empty it and refill it. Um, in addition to that, stay away from the red hummingbird juice. Um, there's there's no reason birds don't need to have their nectar red. And, and usually the chemicals that are used to make it red are not beneficial to the birds. Um, so just kind of a sugar water solution is all you really need in your hummingbird feeders. And then seed feeders need to be clean too. A lot of people don't realize that, but um, there is an eye finch disease that oh. um, mostly the finch population can get. And they can get it 
from feeders. It can transmit it to each other through feeders, and it actually causes birds to go blind. They use they lose their vision eventually. We have a lot of goldfinch and purple finch yeah. here as well. So that affects all varieties the same, Becca? It does, yeah. Oh. So um, goldfinches can get it. Purple finches, house finches, uh, they can all transmit this disease. And they don't always get it from bird feeders. They can get it just from each other, too. But obviously, bird feeders are a central point um, where they can become exposed to it. So so just rinsing, scrubbing with a little mild soap and water when you change the seeds once a week in your feeders will help. Great backyard bird count. You can participate 15 minutes out of your weekend beginning next Friday, the 14th, all the way through Monday. You have until February 17th. Go to birdcount.org to get started. Sign up for a free account with eBird and away you go. So, Becca, are there any last, you know, parting thoughts that you would like our Georgia audience to know or help you with? I did want to just say that one of those seven simple steps that we are pushing for um, positive impact on birds is actually counting birds. And those of us that are gardeners and want to get out there and actually do something, I am one of you. I am with you in that vein. But just taking a minute to count them does huge things for our scientists in order to be able to crunch this big data and really understand where are birds benefiting, where are they hurting, and for us to really start to solve the problem of um, providing conservation measures for birds that are really going to have a positive lasting impact. So much fun, guys. I guarantee this is going to be a great time. And I want to hear your feedback, too. If you participate and take some pictures, too, you can participate in the photo contest as well. But share them with me on the Facebook page at Green and Growing WSB. Well, Becca Radomsky-Bish of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us this morning. Thank you so much, Ashley. Have fun counting birds. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.